Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Aidan Mosby talks to Jennifer Gilbert about disability and curation. This podcast contains some strong language. I'm Aidan Mosby, um, I'm Disability Arts Associate and I'm interested in curating and so today I've got Jennifer Gilbert in the studio and we're going to talk about curating within a disability context. Hi, I'm Jennifer and I set up the Jennifer Lawrence Gallery and I'm also a freelance producer and curator working across the UK and overseas. It's great to have Jennifer here and I'm interested in how she works as a gallerist but within a freelance context and also as a curator within a freelance context as well because most of those opportunities are within generally within institutions and it's quite difficult to work as a curator on a freelance basis. Mm So I think if we can just start off by having a conversation about what is curating and what are the different elements of it, if we can unpack that a bit. So what does curating mean to you? Well, I was thinking a lot about this when you sent me these questions over. And I think curating is about storytelling and creating a narrative and leading people on a journey through that in, in whatever way you're putting it out there. And I think when I googled what the term curator meant, it says it's defined as a keeper or custodian of a museum or other collection. And that curation is the action of process of selecting, organising and looking after the items in a collection or exhibition. And I think that when people think of a curator, if they don't know too much about it, they just think it's someone just putting work on the walls Mm. and like thinking about where it goes and I don't think they think about everything else behind it that goes into curating an exhibition just choosing some pictures and yeah just simple just simple as that so you know everyone thinks it's quite an easy job but they're not thinking about the fact of all the research that's gone into that the fact that they might have to write an an essay for a catalogue they have to think about the labels uh the interpretation being able to set a narrative thinking about how it is physically and also the digital side of it as well so it's it's a much wider job than than what's actually thought about as being a curator so if we can go back to um your storytelling yes who are you who's telling the story and who he is telling it to Well, you want to make sure that you're telling it to as wide an audience as possible that might come through the doors to the exhibition, so you want it to be as accessible as possible. But also you want to get the facts correct on behalf of the artist, and if the artist is still alive, you want to make sure that they're happy with the way that you're portraying their story or you're portraying their narrative of their work, because you don't want to annoy them. (laughs) (laughs) What would you have if you annoyed them? What would happen if you annoyed them? Yeah. Well, who knows? You you might get some very bad press. They might blacklist you. They might pull out of the exhibition. You know, you you want to do right by the artist and you want to listen to their voice and what they want to come across. And I think for curators, that's really important that you're listening to the other person 
um, but putting it out there in a way that's accessible to all audiences to kind of get something, take something away from the exhibition. So it's quite interesting that you think that it's about storytelling, mm -hmm. because I think that's about conversations. Oh, yeah. And so I, when I think about curating, the definition that comes to mind is curate, to take care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, quite a reductionist kind mm -hmm. of definition yeah but also for me it's about facilitating conversations i would definitely agree with that and i think some of those conversations are so there's definitely the artist in there the audience mm -hmm. the institution mm -hmm. and the work mm -hmm. and so and somehow it's about managing the the conversations between all mm -hmm. four of those elements what is that conversation and how do you how do you encourage the each of those elements to, to speak to each other. The fact is, if people go into an exhibition, you want them to have a conversation and you want them to think about the work and you want them to maybe talk to somebody they're with about how they see the work. And often it's like opposing things that come out of it. And I think if, if you've done that in an exhibition and you've got people to think, I think that's a really important aspect of what you're trying to achieve you don't just want someone to go in walk around and be like oh yeah la 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 and then walk out and not have taken anything if they've then gone away and had a conversation with someone or whilst they were there had a conversation with someone tweeted about it or done something you've I feel like you've achieved some of what you were trying to achieve from that so some of that is about oh. taking that conversation out of the oh, definitely yeah that's definitely important in my mind <laughs> that it doesn't <laughs> yeah. just stay there and that people do go out and go on to have these conversations and put it out there not just with their friends but put it out there on the internet to see what other people think as well and and hear how they've portrayed the exhibition and what they've taken from it shall we take a look at each of those kind of component parts about mm -hmm. um like what do you think of the like the role of the the curator the role of the institution mm -hmm. uh, the artist and the work itself within mm -hmm. within curating and within about how people experience mm -hmm. art i feel like it is a whole institution thing when it comes down to an exhibition and it has to go from like top level down to front of house stuff and I feel like everyone should be on board and know what's going on kind of thing and not be like kept in the dark because I think in too many institutions the information stays at the top level and it's never passed down to the other staff and the other staff even like front of house staff and volunteers are often the ones that are the communicating with the public and the front facing and I think sometimes when you go in and then if they don't really know what's going on, it's a bit like, oh, okay, clearly no conversations happen here. And I find that a little worrying. And I find it almost quite sad that, that the institution doesn't want to pass any knowledge on to the rest of the staff to make it kind of a whole experience for the audience member that's coming in. And then what do you think about the, like the voice of the, the actual art? You mean if you're putting your own, if you put your own text next to it and you're not allowing it to speak for itself, do you mean? Either? Yeah, or maybe not even necessarily by putting some text next to it, just by perhaps showing it badly yeah. or in the wrong context, mm -hmm. that it's a, a work that maybe doesn't fit in with the rest of the body of work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think if you show it in the wrong context and yet it's got no text next to it, then <laughs> that's never good. I think it, things have to be displayed to a certain quality for people to value it. And I think there's 
especially within the disability arts world, there's too many things that are put out there not at the right level of quality. And I think if the institution or the people that are putting it out there, even if they don't have the budget for it, if it's put out there and it doesn't have the right quality to it and it's not framed in a really beautiful way it feels like that institution hasn't valued that work and then from the audiences coming in it's almost like well why should I value that if they haven't valued yeah. it and I think so how you display the things definitely changes the audience's attitude to that piece of work and I remember when I was working at Pallant House Gallery in Chichester it has a very traditional modern British audience um, but we often did outside-in exhibitions there, and outside-in is an organisation that supports uh, artists facing barriers to the art world. And because it, they were high-quality exhibitions hung the same way as a Peter Blake exhibition would be, it kind of challenged the audiences mm. that went there, who were modern British audiences, yeah. to look at the work of disabled artists in a new light and to think, well, if Pallant House thinks that this is exceptional work, I need to try and alter my mindset and see why they think it's a, a really special piece of work and why I should be appreciating it in the way that I would appreciate any other artwork. Why do you think that traditionally, um, like work by disabled artists or disability arts, is is perceived as having like lesser quality? I think from across the years, uh, it's down to a lot of it is down to budgets and the very limited budgets that disability art organisations often have. So they don't necessarily have, you know, the right money to put things out there. In a way, they might want to put it out there, but they still want to put it out there for people to see. So things might be pinned to the walls. They might be blue tacked up because at the end of the day, they still want audiences to see the artwork made by the people they're working yeah, with. I think this is part of the problem is the fact that, you know, want to get that work out there, but actually the institution isn't valuing it. And so yeah. we kind of we're being fed a very poor diet of mm -hmm. art made by people with with disabilities mm -hmm. so that's what we've come to associate it with i know and it doesn't seem to have been challenged very much over the years either and i think why do you think there isn't a critique going on about the quality of disabled work or i would love art? to know why there isn't a critique <laughs> i i ask this question all the time and i, I keep asking it, it as well and, and <laughs> just, i never find anybody to answer i it. find it really frustrating that arts critics very rarely cover work that features work by disabled artists or outsider artists or things and going back to Pallant House again like when we had exhibitions there there would be one exhibition in the main space so it might be in Peter Blake or Scottish painters and then outside in would be in the other main space and when arts critics came down to review you know the very big artist they were invited to come into the other artists and then never would yeah. and would leave without seeing it. And for me, that's really frustrating because they weren't even given it a chance. And it's automatically like as soon as they heard the word, you know, it's work by yeah. disabled people, they automatically stopped and, and was just like, no, you know, that's not my cup of tea. And it's like, well, why isn't that your, that your cup of tea? And I was never there to have those conversations because I was never part of that tour that they were getting. This country seems to be so far behind other places. So in America, there's lots of critics, art critics, that are writing 
uh, about disability arts and about outsider art and point it out there in like the New York Times and the Washington Post you know it's getting the recognition it deserves and even if you know some of it might be negative it's still being critiqued which is ultimately what disabled artists want like they don't want to be you know this is all amazing and isn't this wonderful they want to be treated the same as any other artist and so even if negative things come out I think that's important for these artists to be able to move forward to work on things that might have been flagged and why is America doing that and why are people like Jerry Saltz championing this work whereas in England we don't have a champion of this work who's like up there seen as a big art critic and I think that really needs to start to be challenged more. I think one of the issues we face from talking to an art critic recently that came to one of my exhibitions is that they're unsure how to write about it because they're worried that they're going to use the wrong terminology when talking about the disabled artist or something relevant to them. And they don't want to be penalised for using the wrong language. So often they kind of would rather not write anything at all and stay on the right side of things rather than write something that then comes back to kind of haunt them and be a really negative thing when they think they were trying to do something good through covering it in the first place. So if we go back to thinking about what curating is and what is it in relation to to disability and, and whose responsibility for access? Well, it's not just the curator's responsibility for access at all when it comes down to exhibitions and institutions because it should be the whole organisation that's supportive of the access and adapting things and making it you know accessible to a wider group of people. And so it's everything from, you know, it's not just ramps. It's about having the correct restroom facilities. It's about having sliding ticket scale prices. It's about having the right lighting, having things displayed at the correct height so that it's more suitable for wheelchair users. It's about having accessible information on websites so that if someone wants to visit who's in a wheelchair, they can easily find this information without having to search and delve or make a phone call. So you mentioned about hanging the work. Yeah. So there's a lot of conventions in the art world Mm -hmm. and, you know, that have just been done forever. So if we're hanging like a work, who are we hanging it for? I mean, I think... Not everything you do is not going to meet everyone's every single access you know requirement that everyone has but lots of organizations these days kind of have a disability group that kind of meet and discusses things around you know how the exhibition should look the heights of things and that sort of thing and a kind of general consensus comes about through that I mean you definitely have to listen to the artist's voice about how they would like their work displayed But it's about a two-way conversation. So, you know, you need to have the conversations with them saying, well, if we did that, then, you know, have you thought about this and have you thought about this? And it's a back and forth conversation with the artist just to make them aware of your thoughts about, you know, if they want something really high, how that will affect other people viewing the work and you bringing your knowledge from working in that sector to the artist so that they can hear that because they might not have thought about that. They've just thought... In my mind, I visualise it like this, but I haven't really thought about anybody else in the situation, just me. So it's about that two-way dialogue and about bringing to attention some things that they might not have even thought about before. But ultimately, it's also about, in certain institutions, it, it is about challenging things that have been there forever 
and you know challenging how they do things and I know that if a staff member has been there for a very long time as well they get very stuck in their ways and it's very difficult to challenge them to change that and for them to listen to what you're saying and that's a very lengthy process of you know a long period of time breaking down their very strict rules about it has to look like this because it's always looked like this. Yeah and how do you get people to listen? Um, well, through a long period of time, <laughs> but also through bringing in other people so that it's not just you saying it and or other statistics that you've read. Or and people hate being told what to do. Oh, people do hate being told what to do. Especially but... if they've always done something like this <laughs> and you're wanting them to get them to do it like that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and this, this was definitely the case from previous roles where, I, that where I've worked in with bigger institutions about challenging you know, the hierarchy of people. So it's about challenging the director and the curator that's been there forever and being like, you know, it doesn't always have to be like that and we would like it like this because of X, Y and Z. And actually, we don't want to work with you unless something starts to break down and you start to listen to what we're saying because what we're saying is actually really important. And if we're showcasing the work of disabled artists and we want their voice to be heard, no, you can't change all their text to be into your jargony text. We want the artist's voice to come through in in their own language, not through your very institutionalised language. And we want it hung like this. And yes, that goes against everything you've ever done. But let's try something different for a change. (laughs) Isn't that just scary, though? (laughs) Terrifying. And I think for curators and and people higher up in galleries, they they are very nervous about change. And I remember when you, Aidan, did this interrogating the the invisibility last year and you had Jess from the Mac in Birmingham on your panel. And she was talking about the nervousness of you know curators taking that leap so she said they're nervous about taking that leap but they're also nervous about working with disabled artists around the fact they don't know what extra support they're going to need and again the thing around using the right terminology and so if you go in there and say you know we can provide x y and z we can do disability equality training we can with all your staff we can do all these different things for you to start breaking yeah. down your barriers, I think it's important that these steps are now being taken in organisations. And I think it was important that you had that conversation and brought together different curators and artists into that mix for them to say, you know, I'm going to be completely honest, and it is a nervous thing, or it is a, you know, my reputation is on the line yeah, if I do this thing. I would much prefer people to have their heart in the right place and not mm-hmm. say the right word than, um, uh, than, than to say all the PC, all the right on mm-hmm. phrases, but actually not really care. Mm-hmm. And that there's mm-hmm. no kind of, you know, genuineness mm-hmm. or, or integrity about that. I'm just thinking of an experience that I had on a uh, on a residency, and there was ten disabled artists. Yeah, ten different sets mm-hmm. of needs. Mm-hmm. How does an organisation who's hosting that kind of man- <laughs> <laughs> manage that in, in, the, in the best possible way? Well, you, I mean, everyone would have to, you know, explain what their access uh, requirements are and their access needs. But ultimately, you're not going to be able to meet everybody's needs all at the same time. So as long as you're doing things to kind of 
meet the majority of people's needs and then you can when you're explaining what's going to happen as long as you say exactly what's going on so people can feel whether that's appropriate for them to go to that particular yeah. thing or not as long as you've given them that information clearly to begin with it's then up to that person whether they decide whether it's suitable for them to go in that particular thing that's yeah, happening th- at that point I in think time. that sense of agency is really important mm-hmm. isn't it mm-hmm. that, that, and also that kind of sharing the knowledge and make being able to make an informed choice yeah it, it is leaving the artist to make their own informed decision you don't want to be like well I've done everything possible here and you know it's <laughs> going to meet everyone's needs because everything is not going to ever meet everyone's <laughs> needs but as long as you've done en- put enough things in place to meet the majority of people's needs and you've explained you know yeah, unfortunately you might not be able to come to this because there's no way I can do such and such to you know meet that need but it's your decision whether you want to come or not as long as you've made it clear and put it out there so everyone's aware of what's happening I think that's the most important thing yeah and I think as long as you're uh, having those conversations and oh, keeping those conversations definitely. open and ultimately for these organisations that are you know, putting on these residences and things, they will learn so much from having these residences and learn so many things they can put in place for the future, not just for disabled artists, but they should be thinking about these things for artists in general and for making different allowances for, you know, whoever might come through the door. Allowances should be made for, you know, everybody. So what what responsibility do you think commissioners have? So I think massively commissioning bodies need to be thinking about the money that they're putting into things and the fact whether access has been thought about or not because, you know, such a high percentage of the population has some form of a disability Mm. that this can't be anything that's overlooked anymore. And again, you know, that percentage will be increasing because, you know, we're living longer, we have more complex needs. The problem is that, you know, uh, if an artist needs to build in access costs... I had a meeting with the Arts Council recently with an artist that I'm working with, and he's deaf. And the Arts Council, so I was explaining, you know, he needs BSL, he needs a note taker so he can go back over yeah. things with, with you know, support. And all the Arts Council were saying was, can you just keep the access as low as possible, though? <laughs> and I was like, but you, you can see here in this meeting, we've got a BSL interpreter. It, it really can't be that low because no. he really needs BSL for, you know, pretty much everything he does because sign language is his first language they don't want to pay out that money was the vibe that I was getting and I felt really uncomfortable in that meeting because I was like you say that you want to provide more support for more disabled artists and yet you're you're stopping them applying for the thing that is allowing them to move forward in their career as an artist and that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Thinking about performance, you know, in a wider sense, mm-hmm. that that performance has really made massive strides mm-hmm. in access yeah. and in the and in the quality of mm-hmm. uh, of disabled work or mm-hmm. disabled led companies. Mm-hmm. You know, to the state where it's like selling out mainstream theatres to mainstream audiences, and there's absolutely no stigma. It appears that the stigma of of disability performance, disability theatre. Mm-hmm dance Mm -hmm. is like it's you know it's evaporating as we speak Mm -hmm. but not so for uh, for visual arts arts. I would agree with that and yeah the theatre side of things has massively moved forward and the fact that there were shows in Edinburgh that were relaxed performances that made them more accessible to people but visual arts it just seems to be stuck and not really moving forward or moving forward at the slowest pace possible 
and that is really frustrating and I think it's great in this in the performance side of things you've got people like Jess Tom that are really championing it and I think about visual arts and I think you know there are different people championing it but not to the same scale or it's not being heard at the same level as it is in theatre and you know what do we need to do now to push that forward to make the visual arts you know wake up and pay attention to this and a lot of it is about the fact that um it's just not on people's radar it's not on curators radars from big institutions if they're not seeing it in spaces where they go to and if they're not seeing it in you know big newspaper articles it's kind of because they've got so much going on it's just it's not there for them they're not they're not seeing it in people's programming they're not seeing it in spaces so basically it doesn't exist and also it's that thing to go back to theater unless my life is reflected back to me on the stage Mm -hmm. what relevance does it have to me Mm -hmm. and i think that's a similar thing for for audiences Mm -hmm. as well of of uh, work made by disabled Mm -hmm. artists Mm -hmm. i think that when people go to see disabled artists perform I mean, people like uh, Kandoko, the dance company, are absolutely incredible. And, you know, they've been seen on really high platforms now. So they were on Strictly Come Dancing on the BBC, which is massive for a disability arts group to be doing that. And it was incredible performance. And they're getting the recognition that they actually deserve. And when is visual arts (laughs) going to get the recognition that it deserves? When are curators going to take some time out to go and visit disability art studios to go and talk to disabled artists when is that going to happen and i went to a meeting in manchester not very long ago um to do with a hayward touring show and as we as often happens lot they'd programmed to go to several different places but they were traditional artist studios they were the big institutions so i piped up and i was like well are you gonna go and visit a disability art studio down the road as well and they were like we haven't got time on this visit to do that. And you're like, but will you do it on another visit? And they're like, oh, we'll see. And yeah. it's like, but you, you should, when you go and visit a city, if you're trying to find new artwork, you shouldn't just stick to the mainstream, you know, this artist studio, this artist studio. I feel like they should be looking at the whole artists network in manchester and everybody so they've got a well-rounded view of everybody but also because you know a lot of artists with disabilities haven't been to art school they they don't have the same support structure they don't have that network they don't have the same profile they may not even have a studio so how do you get past those gatekeepers those Mm -hmm. curators how do you how do you actually get a curator to say you know here i am Mm -hmm. please come and look at my work yeah you know and yeah you know well you can't because most of them maybe because of their disability would find that the most difficult thing to do and their anxiety might stop them doing it they don't like busy places so they won't go and network at private views because there's too many people there so this is why the gatekeepers the curators need to change how they're working and need to change you know, diversify the things they're programming in their spaces and go out and see a broader range of people that are out there. The disability arts movement and the outsider field are such important parts of art history and why are bigger institutions not including it in their collections? Why is it being ignored? 
Is it because it's this other? Is yeah. it because it's disabled people? Do they feel that their audiences won't like that? Will it affect their reputation if they show that? Like, I mean, there's a multitude of questions that could be asked, but ultimately, they're just not included. No. And, you know. And they're why? seen as lesser. Are seen as lesser because they've not been to art school, because yeah. they haven't got these qualifications. Oh, what have you done? I've done a residency in this. I've been here. I've shown here. What have you done? Oh, well, I work out of this studio here and I make this work yeah. and I've shown it in the local community centre down the road. Why is that not as important as, you know, having your work in, in these other spaces? And uh, George Vasey yeah. was part of your event in the MAC uh, last year but basically he said do you have to have your work shown in the tate for you to be validated as an artist like does having your work shown in the tate mean that you are any better than someone that has their work shown you know in a lesser space yeah and i think that's a really important point to make like do you have to be showing it here or can you show it here and it for it still have the same importance and what does the Tate do that this other venue doesn't do other than it being a massive institution? Why is that more important than you showing here? And especially for artists with disabilities and, and artists with learning disabilities, just to show their work in the first place anywhere for them is a really important moment in their life. And they can bring their friends to see it, their family to see it. And for them, that's that's a, that's like a, a recognition. I've been recognised. I've had my work shown on the wall. But it doesn't have to space. be down the corridor towards the toilet, oh, it does and it? And it shouldn't be there. And well, no, but it usually it is. It usually yeah. is downstairs around yeah. the corner yeah. on the back wall. Uh, yeah. Which is... Is oh, oh yeah, I thought I heard there was something like that showing, but I'll just ask a colleague. Yeah, yeah, so people don't tend to know about it. But you kind of have to look at it in two ways. Yes, that's very wrong that it's being shown in these spaces. But if you look at it sometimes from the artist whose work's being shown and for their well-being and for their confidence, yeah. that is a massive confidence boost that someone has liked their work enough to hang it somewhere. Yeah on the wall no matter what that is they have a proud moment to say actually that's my work hanging there yes that's really important and I acknowledge that that's really important for you but my main drive and my passion in life is that it's shown in the right way and the value has been placed on that and no it's not next to the toilet yeah. it's in the main gallery it's in a really beautiful space hanging with the right light on it in a beautiful frame so that everyone yeah. can appreciate the you know the incredibleness of your work and but you but, can't take away from the fact that it's important for the artist to show their work yeah and absolutely and that place. goes back to the value that you were talking about yeah. earlier but also it's about how we value people yeah and we don't value well, yeah. disabled people it's in society down around there yeah but so we don't value disabled people mm. in society so why should we do, you know why should we value their work mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is very true and it's like, so we've got to change, which is a, you know, a complete societal structural mm -hmm. problem as well, mm -hmm. not just like the, the, the issues of the, the mainstream art institutions. Well, I think that is starting to change more now. And I think people are making enough noise to start, you know, paying more attention to disabled people and their artwork. <laughs> I think you've got a really interesting practice and a really mm -hmm. interesting approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're doing it by yourself. And mm -hmm. I came to your um, last exhibition in mm -hmm. London. About three Japanese potters that are self-taught. Yeah, and that was in a really nice gallery, a really mm -hmm. nice space. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, 
really well curated mm -hmm. exhibition mm -hmm. and you know and, that, and for me that, that was the first time I'd seen one of your exhibitions mm -hmm. and I was thinking so how did you become a curator and yeah. then what was that leap to um to becoming a gallerist yeah and yeah, yeah how does that all work yeah and particularly because you don't have a gallery well, I don't have a gallery, now. Uh, so I set it up in May 2017, and at the moment I support around 17 uh, disabled or self-taught artists from around the world. And I set it up on the back of working for different organisations, supporting disabled artists to get their work out there uh, in mainstream settings and allowing them to have a voice. And that's something that I'm really passionate about because I often think so many people are overlooked that really, you know, deserve to be recognised and deserved to get their moment kind of thing. So you say you support 17 artists. Yeah. What, do, what does that mean? And so on my website, each artist has their own profile with a biography that I've checked with the artist and or if the artist is non-verbal or unable to check it, I work with their family and the yeah. institutions to check that everything is, you know, okay with everyone that's involved I do pop-up exhibitions or art fairs so whenever I plan to do something I run the idea past the artist or the studio or institution to check that they're happy with what I'm planning to do I'm trying to put it out there in uh, you know whenever I do my exhibitions I see it as a contemporary art show I choose spaces that you know are mostly on the whole accessible I choose language that is accessible I do everything so that it's open to as wide an audience as possible but for it to be seen as an art show and not as look at me, aren't I great that I'm pulling on this work? Because ultimately, the artists that I work with, I think, are incredibly talented and I want more people to see yeah. their work. And like one of the artists I work with was in the Venice Biennale. He had his work at Freeze Art Fair this year. So he's now getting recognition within the contemporary art world, which is so important. And more things like that need to happen in England, yeah. not just <laughs> in America or in Europe. And it's my like drive in life to kind of see this happen. And that really comes across when you know when you come to a show or yeah. when you look at the website or when yeah. you talk to you, where that drive mm -hmm. is heading. Mm -hmm. It's you know, and like undeterred. I will keep going <laughs> and keep chatting to people until like something starts to change because you know as I said earlier it's the voice of the artist and it's so often ignored and so often overlooked if someone has a disability and it's so morally wrong and it makes me quite angry that I you know I try really hard to you know where possible if an artist can give a talk I'd like them to give a yeah. talk about their work so that people will listen to them because through past experiences, I think the artist's story and the artist saying things in their own words is far more important than anything I could ever say. And them doing it in their own way is far more important to me for people to listen to that person. And I'm just thinking back to how, you know, you do it mm -hmm. on a totally like self-funded, yeah. you know, it's like, why aren't these institutions mm -hmm. who have massive buildings, mm -hmm. budgets people mm -hmm. not getting it right well quite you but know it, it is it's it's about changing their mindset and changing things that have been ingrained for so long into these institutions and I think because I've worked with disabled people like one-to-one -one, and I've done you know personal support work as well I've come at it from like all angles so yeah. I've worked directly with disabled people I've done art with them I've hung their art mm. like I feel like I have a very well-rounded view 
of you know disabled people and being able to support them and support their needs and maybe more people need to go out <laughs> yeah. into the community and do <laughs> these things some people perhaps when when they're listening to you thinking about oh going to uh going to a studio mm. and it's like well that's not glamour but freeze or, well freeze yeah, is free. very glamorous yeah, you, you know and it's but like i felt really out of place <laughs> <laughs> and it's like you know maybe more people are kind of attracted to the freeze side of things yeah, than the uh you know than the than the coal face of of going to a Yeah, but then that's where they'll learn more. You're not going to learn at Freeze at all. You're going to learn going to the grassroots level. And another thing that I wrote down when I was thinking about these questions, so Jess Tom again said recently that two-thirds of the general population feel uncomfortable talking to a disabled person. Yeah, That is a shocking statistic. And this is perhaps why people aren't going into, you know, these institutions and these, uh, you know, art centre supporting disabled artists because they're too afraid of the unknown mm. and they're too afraid of what might happen to them. Venture Arts had a guy from Manchester Finest uh, go in to see them a few weeks ago and he's just released an article on his blog this week about how incredible the experience was for him yeah. going into Venture Arts, seeing their work, chatting to the artists and he was like, more of this needs to happen. And I'm hoping through that article being out there, you know, in Manchester, maybe more of the institutions might pick up on this yeah. article and maybe they'll start to pay more attention to these art studios that are doing incredible work that more often than not goes overlooked. Or if they are picked up by a mainstream, you know, gallery or something, it's going in, it's ticking a box for that, you know, gallery for that year. Mm. We've worked with disabled Absolutely, people. Absolutely, yes. Tick. Yeah. And then it's, it's like a go in, you do a project and then you come out and there's no relationship built. And that happens far too often. Yeah. And some organisations I know won't do that. They'll only get involved with situations if they know it's going to be a long-term thing and they know they're going to have a long-term relationship because they don't want to be that statistic. They don't want to be that tick box. They want a meaningful relationship where that institution really appreciates and wants to work with that organisation yeah. to build a long-lasting relationship. And that's where real change comes from. It's yeah. through that, you yeah. know, so we can have those more honest, open conversations yeah. because we've built up some kind of yeah. trust and respect. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think they realise the effect that has on that, you know, disability group or some Absolutely. of the people within that group. Yeah. It just reinforces that rejection. Because they feel isolated again yeah. and they feel rejected. And because some of them might have felt rejected most of their life, you're just adding to, yeah. like, the pain they might already feel. Yeah. And I think bigger organisations don't take that into consideration. They're just, like you said, thinking, oh, yes, I've got this money. I'll do this wonderful project. Isn't it wonderful? We've got this group in. OK, see you later. Lovely to meet you. And also they're not thinking about the fact that that disability arts group has then got to pick up the pieces and put some like passion and love yeah. back into that group again and like make them feel, you know, wanted mm. again. That's terrible. What are the important conversations that we should be having right now? And what Why is there no disability artwork in mainstream <laughs> <And> what, galleries <laughs> or outside artwork? <laughs> and what isn't being said? So, yeah, so why is there no, why is there why is there no mainstream why galleries? Why is there no mainstream galleries showcasing big shows of this work currently yeah. in this country? Like, why is it not on curators' radars? Why are critics not talking about it? Like, I'd love to get a bunch of art critics in a room together with a bunch of disabled <laughs> <laughs> artists 
and just be like, just quite, just openly say to them, what issue do you have in writing about this work? And here's a bunch of people and, you know, let's bat some ideas off each other and maybe let's us tell you about, you know, about this world yeah. and why it's so great and why you should be writing about it and then see where it goes from there. I'd love to do that. It's not just the mainstream critics, but where are the disability critics? Well, yeah. You know, where, where, <laughs> where are our own critics? Yeah. And I think what people tend to forget is, you know, when art critics write about these shows and it gets featured you know, in The Guardian, The Financial Times, wherever it goes, that is ultimately what audiences are looking at a lot of the time in the art world. And they are going to be going to those shows that they see advertised yeah. and they see reviews of. And I think that critics are then forgetting that, you know, if you don't write about these things, no one's going to know they exist. They're only going to know that these, you know, this Tate Britain shows on this, yeah. this shows here, this shows at the Haywood, because those are the only shows that people are reading about in the places where they look to find information about, you know, bigger shows to go and visit around yeah. the country. So if they're never being covered, they're never going to be visited <laughs> by a bigger audience of people. Because no one knows about them no apart from family and friends. And yeah. Unless you go onto Art Rabbit or something where you can list it for free. Disability organisations don't have thousands of pounds to spend on, you know, magazine advertisements, newspaper advertisements. You rely on free listings like me. I rely on free listings, word of mouth, mm. social media. And if you take Britain, you can pay £10,000 to have an article in Art Monthly. Like, yeah. I can't pay £10,000. <laughs> no. And, and, and most disability arts organisations can't pay £10,000. <laughs> like, that's, like, ridiculous. So you're never going to be hitting these audiences that you'd really love to come and see your show unless people are writing about it, however they write about yeah. it, in a place where people are going to see it advertised. The only bad publicity is no publicity. Exactly. <laughs> And even like when you tell people that, you know, oh, I work with some disabled artists and I run this myself and I'm doing this, you know, I've got very low budgets for things. And they're like, so uh, one of them, like London Standard or something, just to do a tweet, £300. Wow. Just a tweet about the exhibition. One tweet. And I was like, £300? <laughs> like, no, I, I don't think I have £300. We're in the wrong job. One tweet out for that. And they're like, and they're like, Oh, well, bear us in mind for next time. I'm never going to have £300 <laughs> to do one tweet, ever. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do one for a fiver for you. I know. It's just, it baffles me. There's so much money in the art world, and it's people are only getting ahead if you've got the money, and yeah. I think that's what frustrates me. That's why these bigger organisations and bigger shows get all this press, because they can afford to put it out there in these different avenues. And people working in disability arts fields, even if you've got funding for it, you know, your funding is not going to allow for that. It's going to allow for, you know, a bit of push on Facebook or a bit of this and yeah. a bit of that. And, you know, getting something on disability arts online and paying for them to kind of push it in different ways. Your funding allows for that. It doesn't allow for these ridiculous things that reach bigger audiences because... Just because. But that's, and that's, why should you have to pay uh, yeah. £300 for a tweet? It takes a second. Uh, I can send you the text, the 140 <laughs> characters to tweet and a picture. All you got to do is copy and paste. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just cost me £300. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> What's next for you then, Jennifer? For me, well, um, I've got a few art fairs coming up again crossing over outsider and contemporary art where again. are they so uh one in paris in october which is the outsider art fair 
so I'm taking around six artists work with me there and then in January I'll be going to New York to another art fair and then a contemporary art fair in Paris in March and then uh, early next year I'm planning a big black and white show of around 40 artists work from artists all over the world and it's looking to be pretty special and it'll be on for about two weeks in London wow so watch look this out, space. Watch this space. It's very, there's some very interesting work going to be in it. It's going to be pretty exciting. So what's the website where we can so uh, see your work? JenniferLaurenGallery.com. Uh, and I'm doing a series at the moment on my social media, um, interviewing collectors of this kind of outsider art field to find out why they collect this work, which is very interesting. <laughs> so, so I've just had the pleasure of talking to Jennifer Lauren. Thank you very much. That's quite all right, Aid. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities.